The State Department makes it easier for people with disabilities to join the Foreign Service. It sets a new standard of medical clearance for prospective diplomats and settles a 20-year-old discrimination lawsuit. The department will also pay plaintiffs $37 million after it rejected or delayed hiring more than 230 people who were unable to obtain a Class 1 or worldwide available medical clearance. For more, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman spoke with the Acting Deputy Assistant Secretary Jamila Akbari. A lot has changed since the litigation started. Now, the settlement provides benefits and certainty to the class and to the Department of State now, instead of prolonging the disagreement. The terms of the settlement also align with the department's ongoing efforts to build a workforce that is more inclusive and representative of the American people. This includes persons with disabilities. And I think it's important for your listeners to know that almost one in four Americans identify as a person with a disability. So for the department to truly be reflective of the American public, we need to ensure that we have people with disabilities in the Foreign Service. Our greatest accomplishments, of course, are achieved when diverse, dynamic perspectives power our diplomatic efforts. You mentioned that one in four Americans have some sort of disability, and we've heard in previous conversations that they are well represented within the State Department Civil Service as it pertains to the Foreign Service, which is what this conversation is all about. You know, what kind of metrics are we looking at in terms of employees who have disabilities? So you're right that in the civil service, we do have higher rates of employees with disabilities at the Department of State. When it's the Foreign Service, according to our latest workforce diversity reports, approximately 8% of our full-time permanent Foreign Service officers and close to 12% of our full-time Foreign Service specialists have disabilities. So for your listeners, they may not realize that the Foreign Service is made up of different groups of employees. We have our officers and we have our specialists. The specialists tend to be in areas like medical providers or information technology or diplomatic security, really folks who have deep expertise in those areas. And our officers tend to be more general. This is, of course, a settlement that has, I think, broad implications for the department. And let's dive a little bit deeper into kind of the central idea here of what the minimum medical qualification standard is for folks who are joining the Foreign Service. How will the department be changing that standard for its Foreign Service applicants, people who are looking to join? Yes, and I I know that's a question that's at the forefront, and you'll hear me saying this quite a lot. It's a mouthful, minimum medical qualification standard, because this is a technical change that the department has made. Now, applicants for career foreign service positions with the department will no longer be required to receive a class one or worldwide available medical clearance. That's the technical term. That's the concept that's really changing here. For foreign service officer and specialist applicants, except for our foreign service medical specialist, The minimum medical qualification standard is based on the designated regional medical evacuation centers. So I know I see your eyes glazing over, Jory. Like, what does that mean? So our regional medical evacuation centers are four posts that have deep medical resources. So that's Bangkok, London, Pretoria, and Singapore. A separate revised minimum medical qualification standard has been agreed to for medical specialists. We need to be able to make sure that they can serve wherever we need them, which is also true for the folks who will be coming in under the settlement. It's just that we need to make sure that they can serve at those four posts and with an accommodation would be able to serve anywhere that we would need them. 
And I think it's important to point out that that is, in the eyes of the department, a, a floor, not a ceiling, that that is the minimum of what they can serve at. But they are, on a case-by-case basis, I understand, able to serve at additional posts. Exactly. It's important for us to ensure that we can cover the needs of the nation through the Foreign Service and that we are able to ensure that people can serve where we need them. So the revised minimum medical qualification standard agreed to as part of the settlement agreement will be used only to determine whether an applicant is medically qualified for hire and will not be used to determine, define, or limit the universe of post at which the applicant can serve. So in this regard, the minimum medical qualification standard will operate differently than the pre-employment medical clearance currently used by the department. The settlement agreement makes no change to qualification standards other than the class one medical clearance requirement. Additionally, the settlement agreement makes no change to the department's directed assignment policy for entry-level foreign service employees. So when you join the foreign service In general, your first two tours, the department will be directing you to where you're needed. After that, usually an employee, a foreign service employee, is able to select or make a bid on where they'd like to go next. An employee's first two assignments will generally be to overseas post, except as service needs dictate. On behalf of the Director General of the Foreign Service and Director of Global Talent, we have an office within the Department of State, our Office of Career Development and Assignments, that directs the first and usually the second post of assignment. A moment ago, we were talking about kind of the baseline numbers of members of the Foreign Service who have a disability of one sort or another. And it seems like this does seem like a settlement that may potentially increase that number. What do you see as the department's expectation of what the settlement's impact might be in terms of fewer barriers to entry when it comes to the Foreign Service? The word that I want to talk a little bit more about is barrier, right? The idea is for the Department of State and following the administration's lead around the importance put on diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility is to create a barrier-free environment so that anyone with the skills and talents, experiences that we need, they're able to do their best work at the department. And so this settlement will allow more people with disabilities to pursue a career in the Foreign Service. This is an important step forward in the department's efforts to create a workforce that reflects the full diversity of the American people and ensure we have the best team representing the United States abroad. Now, we encourage individuals with a disability interested in a foreign service career to apply for positions with the U.S. Department of State. And I would be remiss if I didn't make a plug for our website, careers.state.gov, if you're interested in learning more about how to join the Foreign Service. Let's talk about the universe of stakeholders here. There are more than a few. And of them, you know, we're talking about the American Foreign Service Association. They were briefed as part of this settlement. And, you know, it seems like they have some of their concerns assuaged here. But can you just maybe briefly describe the briefings that went through the department in AFSA and how those have gone? Yes. I mean, for us, AFSA is a, an important partner in this settlement agreement. And it took a lot of conversations, not only with AFSA, but across the department to ensure that we were doing what was right for the service, but also what is right for the country and in furthering the administration's DEIA commitments. 
if we could take a step back and just think about, you know, disability is a part of the human condition, right? So whether it's someone who's coming into the Foreign Service and has a disability or you're already in the Foreign Service and you acquire a disability, we're fortunate at the Department of State that we have a centralized office that provides accommodation solutions and also expertise around accessibility. So that way, Suppose I've already been in the Foreign Service for a decade or so. I acquire a disability. I want to go to a post overseas or I side overseas. We have at the Department of State an Office of Accessibility and Accommodations that can provide those accommodations to ensure that that employee can go overseas and do the job that we need them to do. Jamila Akbari, Acting Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Global Talent Management, speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com.